Okay, uh, welcome everybody. Good morning. It's my pleasure to be here with you this morning. Um, we at Living Stones love Jesus and we love reading about him in the word, right? And so I'm about to read the scripture and typically after we read the scripture, we all together say thanks be to God. And that's because we truly are thankful of the gift that was given to us in Jesus Christ and the gift that we never want to take for granted that we have this word and we can read it whenever we want. So I want to invite you to join me in doing that after the scripture is read. If you don't want to, because it's weird, I just want you to know we're not a weird cult that says things together like that, but we're doing it actually because we truly are thankful. So if everybody would please stand with me, we are on page um, 807 in the black Bibles around the room. If you don't have a Bible, please take one of those home. If you have a bunch of Bibles at your house, please don't. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and we are, uh, so we are elevating scripture up here this morning, so I don't want it to seem like I'm joking around too much, because this is actually a very serious thing, so I'm sorry if I'm giving you mixed messages this morning. Um, so we are reading about the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amazing. All right, Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they have departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, please. Father, please meet us here this morning. Please send your spirit to change our hearts. Please illuminate the beauty of your son. Please illuminate the grace that he brought and the condescension that he endured. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The best part about Sean reading the text for us is that he wears pants. 
normally he doesn't wear pants to church ever. It's a beautiful thing. Um, well, good morning. I'm, I'm Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm also on staff here. Uh, so it's good to be with you guys this morning. This looks like everybody that's in this room survived Thanksgiving. Uh, I know the sickness is going around, and, and then we had family in town. So uh, good job. Congratulations. Uh, first thing I need to clear up, uh, Pastor Mark and I, we agree on a lot of things. Uh, but Christmas music is a year-round event. For those of you who don't think so, fine, now or it's after Thanksgiving, we officially have permission, but uh, Christmas, is, is not, Christmas music is all year. Uh, he's wrong, uh, and I'm right. Um, but last week, uh, Pastor Mark went over the genealogy uh, from the first part of Matthew. He walked us through this long list of names that typically we all skip over, uh, but he brought up the point that uh, these are real people. These are people from real places and uh, they are confirming real prophecies that we find throughout the entire Old Testament. So today, as we continue in Matthew, uh, looking in chapter 2, we're kind of jumping over the birth. Save that for our Christmas service, uh, which, by the way, in Matthew is like the shortest account of Jesus' birth. It's like, and then Jesus was born. Moving on. Um, but here's the thing. So a quick Bible study uh, thing for you. So if you spend time, if you don't have a, a study Bible, uh, I'd recommend you get one because if you look at the Gospels, there's four of them, and you kind of understand why, how, who's writing them, you get to understand this a little better. Matthew <clears throat> has this short uh, story of Jesus' birth. If you look at Luke, which is typically what a lot of churches will go over uh, during the Advent uh, series, it has this ton of background. Well, Luke, if you'll remember, we'll look at the beginning of chapter one of Luke. He tells us why he's writing the book the way he's writing the book. Um, let's see. Luke 1 jumps in and he says this. Inasmuch as they, as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, uh, have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke was writing his gospel. He went back and interviewed uh, all the people that were involved. So he got these first-hand, first-hand accounts. And that's why Matthew has this long intro to uh, Jesus' birth with the prayer of, of Mary, the story of Zechariah, and the birth of John the Baptist. Um, Mark and John don't even really cover the birth of Jesus much at all. They kind of start with John the Baptist uh, and Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, but Matthew was a tax collector, which means he's a government official, which means he's got some of these ends with some of these government uh, Happening, So the genealogy, he knew where to go find that. Maybe he's friends with the guy at the library who's got the, the genealogy. And in this case, when we're talking about the three wise, or three wise men, I just messed myself up. You're not three. Uh, the wise men, um, we see that Matthew's giving this kind of historical account, this firsthand account where he knew that these wise men has visited Herod. So that's one of those things that you don't have to be a pastor to get through. Get a study Bible, you can read. You know, the first couple pages of a study Bible has this whole thing about the author, who wrote it, helps you understand more clearly why things were written the way they were written. Um, this morning, as we talk, I do want to say that I'll be using this word Messiah 
And just in case you have not been around church much or you don't know what that means, it simply means the promised deliverer of the Jewish nation prophesied in the Hebrew Bible. That's the dictionary definition. So the Messiah is the Savior, and that is Jesus. So uh, this morning as we open up the text, we're going to kind of come on with three main points, which I'm not a three-point preacher by any means, but it just ended up that way this week. Um, the first is Jesus isn't merely the king of the Jews. He's the king of all nations. The second is that Jesus is not just the king. He is the Messiah. And the third is don't just see Jesus, worship Jesus. All right, so open them up. We'll get to the text. Matthew 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So Bethlehem is the prophesied city uh, that Jesus would be born in. We see this in Micah 5, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, it's also called uh, Bethlehem of Ephrata, which is another way of saying it. Um, and we find that uh, Mary and Joseph, remember, they're in Bethlehem because there was this census. Caesar had uh, called for a census of all people. He said, all the men of the households need to go back to the place of their birth so we can get a census. We can count everybody. So Joseph and, and Mary traveled to Bethlehem. The city of David, as you read through the Old Testament, Bethlehem has a few people that, that come from that small uh, town just south uh, of Jerusalem. It's about five or six miles south of Jerusalem. It's a small village. Um, the cool thing about this is even in Jesus' birth, and we'll see this continually kind of in the text, we see that he's relating to those who are, are poor and lowly. He didn't, he didn't uh, come to us in the city of Jerusalem, the big city uh, in wealth, but he came humbly as a lowly man. So he comes in the, to the city. He's the, it's the city of the King David. And then we see this character mentioned here, Herod the king. So Herod was the king of the Jews, but he was appointed. He was not the heir. He was not of the uh, tribe of, of Jerusalem. He wasn't uh, a native Jew in that text, so he was uh, appointed by the Roman government king over the Jews. And then we have the wise men, and this is the three part. There's not three necessarily. There could be three. It doesn't say there's three. The presumption that there's three comes from the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, uh, but it doesn't necessarily say that in the text. And they're not kings. A lot of times, you know, you have the song, we three kings of glory and art. These, these don't seem to be kings. The Bible doesn't say they're kings. Um, a lot of people kind of make that assumption just based on the value of their gifts, that they gave these high-value gifts to Jesus. But what we do know is that they're wise men, or they're called magi in some translations, which means that they're astrologers. They interpret dreams. They study sacred writings. Uh, they pursued wisdom, sometimes even magic. And we also know they came from the east. We don't know exactly where, but most people think somewhere in, in the Babylon which makes sense because the Babylons were known for studying astrology and whatnot. So, so we know that these guys are wealthy. We know that they're intelligent. We know that they're astrologers. <clears throat> we also know that they're not Jews. So these men are coming outside of the Jewish faith. They are of diverse ethnic backgrounds. This is just one of many examples of Jesus bringing in people not like us or them at the time, the Jews, 
but bringing in a rich diversity into his kingdom by ascribing value to them. If you remember last week, Pastor Mark was talking about uh, the women that are mentioned in the genealogy of, of Christ Jesus. And this is breaking the tradition of the Jews who kind of were very, hey, this is just us. We don't bring anybody else in. And Jesus is from the day of his birth, blasting those doors open and welcoming all people, all types. It's worth noting too that if you look at Luke's gospel, uh, the first people to come and worship Jesus were, were sheep herders. So you've got these two just big gap. You've got the poor, blue-collar sheep herders that smell, don't have a whole lot of money. And then you've got these wealthy men coming from the east. These are the two parties that we see worshiping Jesus from the beginning. We see a rich diversity. We see Jesus of all men. Uh, continuing in verse 2 saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We get the idea here that the, the wise men figured that everybody in Jerusalem would be stirred up. They'd all know, hey, Jesus was born. Where is he? And what we find is that they weren't really expecting him. That all the religious men, all the Jews who had known about this coming Christ since uh, the beginning, had been told time and time again in the Old Testament that he's coming, they were not expecting. We see this star mentioned here, and this is uh, an interesting thing that we can get easily distracted by. There's discussions of whether Venus and Saturn aligned and created this star, which may very well have been in this general revelation where the wise men saw it when they were in the east and it pulled them to the west and they followed the star. But we'll see later on that it was a very specific location above the house where Jesus laid. So it's got kind of this twofold thing in the star, but it doesn't really matter what the star is, but we do know it's a supernatural uh, work of God. And what's interesting is the star shows first. This is the idea of salvation that Jesus first or God first revealed the star and then the wise men sought after it. It wasn't the other way around. They weren't seeking Jesus first, the star appeared and they followed. There's a prophecy in Numbers 24, again, pointing to this. Uh, it's about the oracle of Balaam. So if we look at Numbers 24, verses 15 through 17, this is the final oracle of Balaam. And he says, and he took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with eyes uncovered. I see him not now, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheath. So we see this prophecy coming from Numbers. We see the, the wise men have studied this. They knew it. And then this star, God reveals to them where to go. And they come looking to worship Jesus. And it's important here to see that the wise men knew there was something more to this child being born. They weren't there just to worship a king. Otherwise, they would have worshipped Herod. Herod was the king of the Jews. So they say here that we're looking to worship the king. He who is born king of the Jews, not he who has been made king of the Jews by the Roman government. 
In verse 5, we see, uh, excuse me, jumping too far ahead. Let's go to verse 3. <clears throat> when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The great news of the birth of Jesus troubled Herod. This is what we still see today in our, in our circles. When we talk about the good news of Jesus, how many people are overjoyed to hear that? Some people are not. Often people are ticked off, but we see here the king of the Jews, the supposed king of the Jewish nation who was expecting this child was troubled by this announcement. And then we see that Jerusalem was troubled with him. And I think the reason we see that is because they would have known Herod was a violent man. He was a tyrant. He killed members of his family in order to keep his reign alive. So this idea that there was somebody else born king of the Jews to take his place would have uh, gotten him stirred up. So here we see Herod ticked off. And so he pulls his uh, chief priests and scribes together in verse 4. It says, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where this Christ was to be born. So Herod's not looking here for a Bible story and a lesson so he can follow Jesus. He's got this ill intent uh, in, in his mind. And suddenly, it appears that all of Herod's chief priests suddenly remembered the prophecy. So they weren't expecting Jesus, but now that Herod mentions it, they're, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. So we see in verse 5, they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So we see this uh, comes out of Micah chapter 5. So I want to look at Micah 5 just for a second. You can turn to it, but we're going to have it up on the screen. And another little Bible nugget, you'll notice that some of the words are different when we read the passage in Micah versus when we read it in Matthew. Again, if we have a study Bible, we can pull this out. Matthew was written in Greek. Micah was written, written in Hebrew. So Matthew is, is translating this when he says it. This is not an inconsistency in the Bible. Uh, so Micah chapter one, or chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This is an important piece in this scripture, and I don't know if when the chief priest read this to Herod, they included this part, but this could have been what scared um, Herod. And if we think about this, just think about John uh, in the chapter one when he first starts off, uh, the book of John, he's talking about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And then in verse 4 or 14, and the, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is what Micah is talking about. This person from of old, this, person, this eternal person is going to be born. Uh, verse 3 of Micah 5, therefore... He shall give them up until that time when she, this is speaking of Mary, who is in labor, has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he, speaking of Jesus, shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. 
and they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth, he's, this all nations language again, that all people will be brought under his reign. And he shall be their peace. So this is the prophecy 700 years prior to this being fulfilled in the birth of Christ. For, for what it's worth, uh, the chief priests here don't have a problem talking about the birth of Jesus. You see them saying, oh yeah, this is, this is what's supposed to happen. This is what we're called to. Um, but when we see Jesus start to take on his earthly ministry and start threatening the chief priests, they quickly change their tune. Here, they're not afraid to admit that this is the coming Christ, but later, 30 years down the road, not so much. These are the same uh, chief priests that would later be putting Jesus to death. Uh, John Calvin, in his commentary uh, on this portion of Scripture, says this, <clears throat> In a word, so long as wicked men think that it is taking nothing from themselves, they will yield to God and to the Scriptures some degree of reverence, but when Christ comes into close conflict with ambition, covetousness, pride, misplaced confidence, hypocrisy, and deceit, they immediately forget all modesty and break into rage. Let us therefore learn that the chief cause of blindness in the enemies of truth is to be found in their wicked affections, which change light into darkness. So these chief priests at this time are declaring the prophecy, the scripture, but later they changed their tune. So then Herod, in verse 7, summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Key, uh, key part of that scripture is this idea of secretly. Obviously, he didn't want people to know that he was talking to the wise men again and asking them for this information. So this is false pretense. He's acting like he's concerned. He wants to go worship. He, he's acting like he's religious. But he's not. He's secretly plotting uh, for the death of Jesus at the very beginning. He doesn't want to admit his weakness or fuel the people and admit that he is ignorant. <clears throat> Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may worship. As we all know, Jesus, uh, Herod had no no want in him to go worship. So, verse 9, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold the star they had seen when it rose before them until it came to the rest over the place where the child was. So this verse seems to indicate that this star that they had been following had somehow disappeared for a moment. And this is kind of where it makes sense that, all right, maybe it was the original star was this uh, alignment of Saturn and Venus, this more natural phenomenon. Uh, which would take them from east to west. As we all know, stars travel east to west. But this is where we see that this is not uh, a natural uh, star when we see now it's leading them to the south. And as we all know, stars don't go north-south. So there's a special, um, this special movement of God to show them uh, where they're meant to be. It's also interesting that, that Jesus would, or that God would use this as a, as a time to stop them for a minute. Because they're traveling from a far distance. The star gets them as far as Jerusalem and then it disappears. Now they're kind of just sitting there. And maybe if you're like me, you might have been like, uh, well, I guess we didn't find them. Let's go home. 
But they stuck it out. They, they started asking questions. It reminds me of, of 2 Corinthians 5 where uh, it says we don't walk uh, by sight, but we walk by faith. Uh, these magi, these wise men from a far land, they, they still had faith. They knew that they had come. They knew that they had followed the star. So they stuck around. And then the star, when it reappears, it says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were filled with joy at seeing the star again, to know that God had been faithful, that, that even if they weren't believers, which we don't really have a, a real sense, I think they probably were, or at least by the end of it were, uh, but they, they saw and rejoiced. They were glad. The priests of the day were not glad. Herod, in his ignorance, was not glad. And then it says in verse 11, and then going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Baby Jesus, two-year-old Jesus, however old he was when, when the wise men found him, was not found in a castle. He was not found in a temple. He was found in an ordinary house in a small village. The circumstances and surrounding of Jesus' birth and his early childhood didn't provoke prejudice in the eyes of the wise men. And I think about how often we are so prejudiced by the things we see or the, the, the things that we experience that keep us from worshiping Jesus. If you walk into a, a church, let's say you're out of town visiting some family, and like you walk in and you're immediately put off by something that doesn't look the way you think it ought to look. Surely, the wise men expected maybe a little bit more than an old rundown house to find the king of the Jews born. But it didn't affect them. They just walked right in. They saw the star. They walked in. It says that they fell down and worshipped him. After traveling for weeks to get to this king, finding him in this humble estate with this young girl, this unkept dude, Stepdad Joseph, they fall on their knees and worship. Their preferences, their preferences didn't affect their worship. And then it's, um, and then we have the, the the treasures. And this is kind of a, a focal point of, of this whole story, this idea that they they gave these gifts to the king, gifts fit for a king. They worshiped not only by falling on their knees, but by giving uh, the first fruits, just like the Jews were commanded to in the Old Testament. And these three gifts, they kind of can have multiple meanings. I mean, it seems like they have some, some allusion to the priestly, kingly uh, work that Jesus would be doing. The gold represents this royalty, this kingliness, the frankincense, alluding to his divinity. You'll see in Exodus uh, 30 that incense, you'll see it all throughout uh, God's commands to how the temple would run, that you would burn these incense uh, in the temple, so it alludes to his priestliness. And the myrrh, which is an antiseptic or perfume often used in, in burial. So you see these things alluding to uh, these acts that Jesus would be moving towards. But it's also that these guys were they were wealthy people from another country that these gifts were expected of a king. When you saw a king, so they're just, they're just bringing the best of what their country has to offer, the best of what they uh, can give. So 
it's a reminder to us that we, we worship not with our, our leftovers uh, that are sitting on our plates at home when we get there today, but we worship with the, the freshness, the good, the best. It also points to God's preparation and for, for Mary and Joseph, you'll see next week as, as Mark will get the hard text um, of, of Herod's uh, corruption. But you see that they, they're forced to travel. So they've got this gold, they've got this frankincense, all things of value that can provide for their travels. So God is working in many ways through these three gifts, the gifts that are fit for a king. And then as they get ready to leave, says in verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. <clears throat> so this was probably surprising uh, for the wise men to be visited by God in a dream. I assume then that they were all visited. Uh, so they all had this same dream or vision. I think it points to, again, this, this revelation that God gave them, which is why I would say these men were probably Believers, they were probably regenerate by the Holy Spirit and received the truth. They worshiped Jesus. So the Advent season that we're looking at here, it's, it's meant to prepare our hearts to worship the King. And as we look back at kind of what the three points that we get out of this text are, Jesus isn't merely King of the Jews. He's King of, of all nations. We see these wise men there, again, they're Gentiles, they're foreigners. And they were the first to celebrate the birth of Christ. The chief priests, they weren't even looking. They, weren't, they didn't care. They cared about themselves. They cared about making Herod happy, keeping him off their backs. We also see that God reveals himself to whom he chooses. He chooses these men to reveal himself to for his purpose. The wise men, they, they only sought the star because God showed it to them. We should see here that this idea, the king of all nations, that where no one is excluded. We're not excluded because of our race, our gender, our sexuality, our sin patterns, our place of birth, our intelligence. There's nothing that's going to, to dissuade the hand of God in leading all people to himself. So you're free, you can come. And a religious, a religious affiliation doesn't always equate to worship. We see these priests uh, that were well-trained, that had grown up hearing these stories of prophecy hearing these stories of the Savior to come, and yet they missed it. But we also see that it's not social or economic status that makes it different. In fact, Jesus consistently associates with those who are of low esteem. Jesus is not just king, he's the Messiah. We can't miss this. He's not a king brought in to just rule over a, a certain time period. He's the king of kings, to be worshipped and adored, to be honored by all men. He's not just a ruler to be obeyed. He's the Messiah to be honored. And we don't just see Jesus, but we worship Jesus. Seeing him as a starting point. We see that the, the Magi saw the star. That's where they started, and then they followed the star, and then they... They got to Jerusalem, the star disappeared, and then they got a new revelation, this, this special star hanging low above this house. So it's a starting point, but it's not the end. The end is the worship of our Savior. Herod was told the truth. He knew the truth. He saw it. His, his, his wise uh, counselors there, his chief priest, told him, hey, this is what's supposed to happen. 
and he still chose to fight God, not worship him. We can't let the physical or temporary things cause us to turn our gaze from Jesus. His humility and grace is, is not to be confused with weakness. He is God Almighty, our eternal Savior. So for the Christian here today, my question, my challenge, uh, whatever for you this morning is to ask yourself, do you simply see Jesus or are you worshiping Jesus? This is a time of year when we're all busy. We're all sick. I'm, I know half the people here are still coughing up. I got cough drops in my pocket. Gabe struggling through singing with what he's got left. So we have so many distractions, but we're calling, uh, we call Advent service to call us to the person and the work of Jesus Christ to celebrate his coming and to anticipate his second coming. Do we fall on our knees? Do we worship as these wise men did? It says they were exceedingly glad. I know that my heart isn't always exceedingly glad, and I should repent of that. And the, the kind of the, the third question for the Christian is, do we, do we worship Jesus with our best, or do we worship with whatever we got left over? And that doesn't just, that's not talking about money. Uh, it's talking about our energy. I was just thinking about it this morning, and like, find myself working, 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 and then, I, need, I know I need to rest because the Bible says I'm there, so I get some rest, but I don't find a whole lot of time in between to do, uh, to serve, to, to, to spend time with God, worshiping him privately, reading his word. So we can't give him the leftovers of our time. We make time. We don't give him the leftovers of our, of our energy. We give him the first fruits. Today, if you're here and, and you're not a believer, this is an invitation to, to not just see Jesus, but to see who he was. The Son of God prophesied hundreds of years before his birth. And we can worship him, not just as baby Jesus, but as Lord of our lives. That we can confess that he is the hope of all nations.